Hi folks, and welcome back to another episode of Conscious Curiosity, a podcast that is evolving, I have to say, to look at consciousness and the impact that that exploration has on our day-to-day lives, and to look at it with curiosity, to, which really means in my mind, to be open to see things that perhaps we haven't seen before in a way that we haven't seen before. In this week's episode, we are talking with Chris Chopik, who is a Toronto-based realtor or real estate guy. He's practicing real estate, but he's much more than that. And so you might wonder, what are we doing in a consciousness podcast talking to a real estate guy? And I think you'll see and find some very interesting things as he talks about happiness um, as a function of living and um, really looks at what is real estate, what is land and how does that play, how does our uh, participation in the land either enhance or detract from our own consciousness. So sit back as usual, enjoy. And again, please let me know anything else that you'd like. Give me thumbs ups, give me thumbs downs, tell me what's missing, and we'll continue to evolve this podcast together. And now, our interview with Chris Chipick. Sure. So, folks, um, I'm really happy to welcome Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Moya. Nice to see you here today. Yeah, you too. You too. Um, I have to say, it's a bit it's a bit damp outside and cold, and so I'm hoping that we get to warm things up a little bit with our conversation. I love the idea. That's yeah. Great. yeah, yeah. Our audience always likes to know a little bit about who the guest is, and um, I know you, you know me, and but the audience doesn't know you. So I wonder um, if I were just to say, put you kind of on the spot, and say, like, what's what's one or two things that the audience might want to know about you like who are, um, who, are who are you okay well uh, I've, I I live here in Cedarville I've, I've lived in Toronto for my whole life and I've traveled extensively I've been I haven't been to Africa or Russia or China but lots of other places and most other places and I always come back here because I love Toronto the food is amazing in part because we have a lot of cultural diversity and no matter where I go in the world, there isn't a combination of cultural diversity, um, food diversity, and um, and nature all in one place. That's why Toronto keeps calling me back. Um, well, that's so cool. I mean, it's really cool you say that because I live in Toronto also, and I was going to say, oh, you've traveled so far. What's your favorite place? <laughs> and I think you yeah. just said, I think well, you just said it. I do have favorite places. Northern Sumatra, Pula Way, which is where the epicenter of the tsunami was years ago. Um, and uh, that place, magical, one of my favorite places. Mm. The Andaman and Nicobar Islands uh, off in the Indian Ocean, um, which are part of India. Amazing. Nepal, incredible. And Ile de Madeleine in Canada. If you haven't been, you should go. Um, it's I actually I took my I took uh, I took my oldest two kids a, a number of I, years ago and I thought it was like incredible it is incredible isn't it yeah so so for people who don't speak French and can't say Ile de la, de la Madeleine it's the Magdalene Islands off the east coast of Canada and, and we went to this beach 
where the sand was black because, because it wasn't sand. We took a magnet and all the iron filings on the beach just came up onto the magnet. It was like, it was incredible. So much, so much to see and do in such a small place, a hundred kilometers north, north to south and yeah. ocean surrounding. Beautiful, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and salt bars that connect one little part of the island to the next, and then they and then they build a road on top of the salt bar, right? You know, I hitchhiked that. I I ran parts of it. It was it's an incredible place. But yeah. I think everywhere you go in the world, you know, there is something to learn from the people, and and certainly, um, I guess I feel at home in Toronto because of its cosmopolitan nature and inclusivity. And you know, like a friend of mine, you know, said he came from Las Vegas and moved to Toronto. In Las Vegas, people would cross the street to not be on the same sidewalk as of, as him because of his ethnicity. And here, he felt like he was the same as everyone else and accepted as himself. Right. Beautiful. That's nice. And going back to the other places you mentioned, like the end, and I forget how you pronounce it, the Andaman, yeah. Andaman Islands and Nepal and um, and Sumatra and like. What is it that ties that? Like, what's the, what are the common elements in those places that tie it together, and so that you can go? Those are like epic places to go visit. Uh, some of it has to do with the people and the quality of the people, um, which comes from small placeness. Um, like they have a small place, and their you know, and and their life is not that complicated, and that's a really nice place to interact with people when they're mm. when they're quiet. I mean. I, I, I went to this hill town in Colombia a few years ago, and I went to this guest house and I sat down with the, the person running the guest house and we had a coffee. It was a very gentlemanly kind of experience, even though she was a woman. And, but, you know, the whole, the whole sophistication of having time to sit right. with a stranger for 10 minutes and have a bona fide, you know, connection and conversation that's real and not just be all about transactions. Right. That is the beauty. That's the th the thread. The nature that surrounds it is marvelous in all of, in all of those contexts. Right. I love that. I love that. So, like the space, the quiet, like you said, quiet and quiet for me is like quiet in time and quiet in space. And um, and it what your coffee with the Brazil with the Colombian sorry Colombian woman right yeah reminds me of I had a similar experience in Greece on the island of Corfu I think it was with a guy, an old man that I met who took me into his shack and made Turkish coffee, although he called it Greek coffee. But um, he only spoke Greek and Yiddish and I spoke French and English. And so we had no common language except we just spoke to each other beautifully for that short time that we were together. It was, yeah, it was like the simplicity of the quiet of the time and the space and not rushing to go anywhere. That's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It's like a mindfulness practice, right? As you're, yeah. you're traveling. <laughs> right, right. Kind of, kind of like our version of a Japanese tea ceremony. <laughs> so my, my, my everyday, like I'm a dad, I've got two kids, they're teenagers or, you know, one's 12. He's going to be a teenager any second. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I practice real estate. I've had a love of real estate. I've, I'm like the whole... Um, architectural experience as a person has always been compelling to me. I remember when I was living in Roncesvalles as a kid and I was in grade two or something, we went for a field trip to High Park to a place called Coburn Lodge. And I learned about this guy um, named John Howard, who 
gifted a significant portion of High Park, which is a 400 acre park. And he, he gifted something like 170 acres of that park to the city of Toronto hmm. in exchange for a, a tiny pension and $1. And, uh, and that level of, um, let's say, um, civic mindedness and, um, and sorry about that. That's okay. It also reminds me to shut off my phone too. This is, uh, this is what happens when we're live. So the, John Howard's civic mindedness, the idea that he was going to make a deal with the city of Toronto, which had written into it that the, the deal was contingent upon that land never being developed and always being preserved for public use park space was an incredible piece of legacy, which I think um, kind of framed my outlook toward purpose. I guess it was my, my first glimpse of, hey, a per one person can actually make a difference in the lives of many people. It is possible to do that uh, in a life. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think that you know, it really made an impression on, on me, that, that experience and seeing that story um, told. Right, at age what age? Two, I think grade two. Grade two, so like age six, seven, something like that, six maybe? I don't know, it's wow. hard to remember, but I do remember. Oh, yeah. That's amazing, that's amazing. So John Howard yeah. really sounds like almost set you on your path to life, life purpose. Yeah, really actually, in, in a subtle, undefinable way at that age, but it, I consistently feel it myself going back to that point of inspiration. Yeah. That's so cool. And then with that inspiration, so you said, I, I forget how you worded it before about you practice, you practice real estate. Is that what you said? Yes. You practice, so you practice it. So yeah. are you, are you going to get it right sometime or are you just, <laughs> are you going to keep practicing? <laughs> if I practice, I practice therapy, psychotherapy. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's probably the same, right? Um, Cause sometimes you nail it and sometimes you're, you know, you're, floundering trying to get it right and right. You know, it's not always perfect um uh yeah so i practice real estate and you know i i really love two kinds of real estate two kinds urban real estate which is walkable in neighborhood near things you want to do on the weekend near people you want to be with um and uh and also with space that has good flow and and you know good durability and you know keeps the weather out and mm -hmm. doesn't have you spending every minute of your spare time fixing it those kinds of things and then wilderness real estate like i really like real estate where you drive to the end of the road and there is no cell reception and you know you could get a satellite phone to work if you stood on the top of the hill um uh, so that really sort of disconnected real estate where nature is the thing you're connecting to those two pieces of the real estate market really interest me a lot. Wow. So I just realized when you're talking real estate, you're really talking land or land and structures sitting on the land. Yeah. And, and the people passing through it. Too. And the, oh, and the people passing through it. Right. So it's a whole system. Like a, so it's a, com a complex system of life. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, um, everybody wants something different out of their life. And so real estate is a vehicle to achieve some of those things, right? Like home is where the heart is. Home is where the hearth is. Uh, home is where family is. 
Uh, home is where my kids come home from university to visit with me once in a while, if I'm lucky after I empty nest and like, it's, uh, you know, my grandmother's home was where I would go every Christmas, every year for my childhood. It was sort of a, like a, a return, like a great return annually. Like some might go to Mecca. I went to grandma's house. <laughs> it, 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 it contains memories. It contains people, right? Yeah. In, in, in therapy, we talk a lot about support, like whether people have the right support to be, you know, to be able to move forward in life in the way they want to. And, um, you know, I'm tr already translating in my head this notion of the home and all these memories is a version or, or a part of the support network or the support system that, that you talk about, you know, heading to grandma's rather than Mecca. And then, you know, I saw a smile on your face and it's like, wow, I imagine there were like tons of memories that just popped into your head of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really. It's rich, right? And, yeah. And Places are rich. The same as the, you know, when you are in nature and you experience it in a way that is unusual. Like the, my, I take my kids um, to a provincial park. I'm not going to tell you where it is because it's my secret spot. <laughs> I'm not sharing it with you. Um, <laughs> I'm just initial. So is that the guy? <laughs> so we, we go to this place every year. And last year I took them. And usually we go for a week. This, this time we only went for two days. And they said, it's really cool to come here ever, to the same place every year mm. and see it change and see it be the same. Like see the impact of more people using it and cutting trees down and stuff like that. But also um, just knowing it. And, you know, cause we went into that piece of forest and we explored up that ridge. And, you know, one night we, we, at dusk, we went out for a paddle and we ended up seeing deer in a small glade. And so the, the glade is here and the water is in front of it and we're in floating in the canoe and the, the, the deer could like, they would put their heads down and they would eat and then they'd hear us. We would rustle or something and they'd come up and their, their ears would go. And so they'd be, you know, trying to hear. And right. my kids remember that vividly, mm. probably as much as I remember, you know, grandma's torch here at Christmas. Right. Right. And it all seems like, so what seems to flow through the theme here for me is familiarity, that there's something about like grandma's home or my home, um, you know, going to the same park each year, even though it changes that there's a lot that's the same, you know, the Colombian, like it, the Colombian coffee, right? And it's about space and time. It's like, if I can settle into that space with people, with the land, with the structures, then... Um, then there just seems to be a lot of joy that arises from it or happiness or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, whatever it is that bubbles up. It's, you it's, did a bunch, you did a bunch of research, right? On happiness. Yeah. So, so I, I, before I became, got into real estate, I, I published a national magazine. And before that I worked for in the IT sector for a long time. And, and that was all very fulfilling and interesting work for me at the time. But um uh, I came to real estate because of this notion of well-being um, and inspired by the country of Bhutan, uh, where mm -hmm. a, a former king invented a, a, a new way of economic measure called gross national happiness, a measure of well-being well as well as economic viability. And like some key ideas. One, um, why would I dig up the mountain to get the gold to put it into a secure place where I have to then pay for the lights to be on and the security system to be on and staff to be there 
when I can just leave the mountain on top of the gold and it's safe and I know it's there. I can leverage that asset. I know it's there. I don't need to actually put it into Fort Knox in order to realize it. And, and the orientation toward well-being, the mountaintop is much better than the than Fort Knox in terms of creating a place of well-being for the population. Um, so that gross national happiness idea, a quality of life-oriented economic measure, is very much uh, where my real estate practice originates from. A sense of, uh, so in, in um, gross national happiness, there are nine categories of happiness that, that constituents in Bhutan measure them. And one of them is housing. Do I have access? Do I have a place, safe place to be? Basically, as a core measure of my personal well-being, so not, it, owner, not necessarily ownership, just do I have a roof over my head? Roof over my head. Saying. Yeah, it doesn't need to be ownership. It yeah. just needs to be secure. Right, okay. Because security is gives well-being, right? There's less, the, the stress of where am I going to sleep tonight is very different than um, I have a place to sleep tonight. Right, right. right. Um, so orientation toward that basic need of I need a roof over, everyone needs a place to live. Whether it's the park bench or... The, the penthouse suite, it's, they're all roofs and they're all, they're all a kind of living circumstance. And every person who lives, lives within the context of housing. So that's part of why I came to real estate because it is so uh, really heartfelt and center to quality of life and well-being. So it, it gets back to grandma and also nature, right? The idea that, uh, that family is, has stability there. Um, and family life and community life. And then suddenly, you know, my neighbors are an extension of my family. And, you know, the people I meet in the park or on the street are, are an extension of my family. Or, you know, like my personal purchasing habits are very much in my local economy. You know, I only go to a big box store if I need something that my local butcher or grocer or baker does not have on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Because... Right, because it's not just driving the product down to the lowest price. It's, it's for me, it's, it's relationship. It's do I have a relationship with the butcher behind the counter? Yeah. Which, which I don't because I'm a vegetarian, but. Right. But, but, but with, the, uh, with the tofu seller behind the counter. Right, yeah, and it makes a difference. You know, I, I go to my local grocer and I go there twice a week because I have a small fridge, like a European size fridge. Mm -hmm. And teenage boys, and so <laughs> I shop a lot often. <laughs> um, and uh, so I go into my grocer and I ask her if she has turmeric, um, and and she says uh, uh, over there, and she points to a, a powder bag, and I say no, the root, like the actual root. And so I say to her, hey, um, if you get this, like next time you're at the wherever you get all your food, you get get turmeric. I will buy it. I will buy it regularly. You know, and you might find other people who buy it too. Like I can have that relationship with her. I can't have it with a an invisible manager behind, you know, the the two way mirror uh, and the cashier window. Um, so uh, it's a very different kind of experience um, shopping. Or I walk in and Angela says, "Oh, we just got in fresh whatever," and I'm like, "Great, you know, I my kids love lamb. Let's do it." Um, and so uh, having that relationship and that rapport really. Um, I don't know, it's not only is it enriching in terms of the food experience is better, um, but it's enriching because, you know, Tony and Angela know my name and we, we have reports like going to Cheers, you know. Um, right, right. And I, I, I guess what I'm hearing that I that sounds like under the rubric of well-being 
is that what I just did by going to the butcher, by staying local in this case, is I've expanded my home, like the four walls that surround my home to now be four walls within my community. Yeah. And, and, and in doing that, I've been able to welcome in all these other people into my expanded home now, yeah. which, which I think is cool. I think it, for me, that, that's kind of the name of the game. Yeah, it's, um, you know, in the Renaissance, they had this idea that um, there was something emerging, which was um, private opulence and public squalor. And the whole Renaissance movement is oriented towards um, public opulence. You can, still have, you can still have private opulence, but you, but that the idea that the public square or the street or the park is the public opul opulence, the, the, our community together, it doesn't matter where you come from, you know, how large your castle is, uh, whether you rent or own, when we come together in that public space in community, we are equal. It's, right. So how, do, so, so when I, when you say that, I, contrast quickly Toronto to major cities in Europe, let's say, where they consciously built um, community squares for congregation, right? And we don't really have that. We have a tremendous ravine system in Toronto. Mm -hmm. We have High Park, like you said, yeah. whatever it is, 400 acres or whatever. Um, we don't really, we haven't, you know, we're a, we're a structured North American city with North, South, East, West grid streets, essentially. What is it then in that context that makes Toronto so exciting for you? Well, um, so my childhood neighborhood of Roncesvalles and the neighboring neighborhood of Parkdale, it was all Parkdale when I was a kid, but, um, but now they call it Roncesvalles Village because it's, I guess, it's got more real estate value that way. Um, but in Roncesvalles, it's, it's an amazing boulevard with a west-facing um, uh, streetscape. So all of the retail is on the west side there's a mature tree side on the east side. And at dusk on any day, even in winter, the sun is beaming on that entire strip of retail. It's a fantastic place of, to walk. The sidewalks are eight feet deep. It's, you know, and, and when I go down there, I bump into people all the time, people that I've known forever or right. people who I have known for a short time because of, I don't know, my kids are friends with their kids or whatever. Um, but there's, there is a constant state of interaction, hmm. less so um, on St. Clair West, where, you know, where just down the street from, from my house here, from, so 12 minute walk for me, I go down there and it's a very wide sidewalk on the north side. So again, the sun is able to hit that. So some of those boulevards are preserved and they become like the, the Danforth is like this, um, you know, Dundas is like this. It, you know, little Portugal, little India, choose your neighborhood, um, and they've all got their own thing. And I think that that's that arena of um, business improvement area, small locally run businesses is the common square in Toronto, that connected neighborhood, that plus the green spaces in behind, I think are where our public domain has survived in the face of maybe, um, you know, less attentive public sphere planning that they've survived because they got that way um, when people were building at a human scale neighborhoods were being built at a walkable scale that's cool it makes me think that because this because this podcast is called conscious curiosity that for you what you're talking about now is how your place in the world which is essentially 
where is my consciousness? What is my, what is consciousness? But your ability to be aware is tremendously enhanced by where you are physically, by knowing that, oh, like you just said, like going on to Roncesvalles and seeing like you, your body, your heart and your mind just know that that's not just a place of memory, but it's a place of eight foot wide sidewalks and, you know, dedicated bike lanes and people. And St. Clair West, as you said, is just very different. I, I think it comes down to this. You're right. It is about a personal awareness and a subconscious awareness too. Um, uh, I have done some work in the area of biophilic design, bio nature, yeah. philia, love, mm -hmm. so love of nature. Um, so biophilic design is in, in many ways stuff that's understandable and it's the right size and shape. It's like a, like a path that you come to where you just feel invited and you know that it's the right way to go. You don't have to scratch your head and wonder if you're in the right place. And if that's the place to go, you just know that's, that's where to go. You walk into a building and you, you know that that's, that, that's the corridor. Um, and so, you know, uh, I think that we don't, we're not always aware of this, uh, the architecture around us and how it, 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 it does create value but that wayfinding and that sense of being in the right place and being uh, comfortable and wanting to be there is very present. We just may not put our finger on that. Oh, it's because it's a tree lined street or because the sidewalk is so wide um, uh, or that the sun is on this side of the sidewalk. So it feels warm in the afternoon, even in the dead of winter, all of those things, we might not be aware that those are the characteristics of that uh, experience, but we are very aware of how that feels when we're experiencing it i think that's super cool i think that would be a really nice experiment is to go out walking and go to different streets different neighborhoods and just periodically stop and just drop into your body and go how does this feel right now and then use that as kind of a barometer to say um you know do i have like was this area designed with a love of nature with what did you call it biophilia yeah I love that idea. that's a great idea we should do that. Let's let's call out to your listeners to have them weigh in with feedback on your podcast, doing that in their town, in their neighborhood, in their yeah. favorite spot. Yeah, cool. All right. Nice. You also um, have a connection with the University of Waterloo, right? Yeah. So I've been doing some, uh, so I, my re I recently completed a master's degree in strategic foresight and innovation which aside from containing, you know, some trending words on Google um, is a master's in, in system design and, um, and uh, innovation through ethnography. So innovation. Okay. okay. So, yeah. So break, break all those words. Down. Okay, so, so innovation. So there's this idea and I can't remember the guy's name, but there's an idea called a slow hunch, right? Um, where a bunch of people not, are knocking ideas around and maybe you read a Malcolm Gladwell book today and it got something turning and then you and I meet in the street and we have a conversation and then that conversation gets me to landing on the hunch. Malcolm Gladwell opened it up, maybe Seth Godin and some other, I watched some podcasts on School of Life and then you and I have a conversation in the street and as a result of all those little things, it the slow hunch emerges, bang. So mm -hmm. the idea of innovation socially makes sense. It used to be that, you know, let's say Elon Musk goes to a team of engineers and they are going to invent the next best car. 
okay, that's a technical innovation, um, but it is nowhere near as powerful as a bunch of us coming together and socializing an idea and then conceiving of it um, in a way that is maybe without expertise about car design, we might find the new thing as a result of that. And so, um, so I did this master's and, um, and of course, cause I'm hung up on real estate and, um, and architecture, I focused on climate change and the impact that that's going to have on the real estate market in North America. So I was looking at property values Mm-hmm. And embedded in that is migration, population migration. So um, in Louisiana, the Gulf Coast is eroding. And so they're losing both because of storm surge and hurricanes and other kinds of things, as well as sea level rise. They're losing something like a football field an hour or something like that of mm-hmm. land. Um, and people live there and they're getting displaced. And that's happening at, at every coastline around the world. Um, small island nations. And, and so um, all of that research brought me back to this. Climate is for, forcing to people to move away from people, places that are at risk. It is putting, it is potentially putting people in a, into a loss position um, in terms of how they, how affected they are by climate change. So I bought my dream home. It's on the edge of the Gatineau River. It's underwater twice a year. Um, it's uninsurable today. You know, all of my wealth is stored in that object. There's those kinds of problems. And, and the intact center for climate change at the University of Waterloo is focused specifically on how to deal with em- this emerging problem. So I work with, with them on those kinds of problems. I also work at the, um, the, at the um, S-Lab, which is a part of OCAD University, the Ontario College of Art and Design University, where I got my master's. So I'm, I'm associate researcher on both sides. The OCAD stuff is very, you know, pink hair and, and paintbrushes. And the, um, the Waterloo stuff is very engineering um, and science oriented. And it's nice to work with a foot in both fields. Yeah, I would think that the OCAD, like the, the art and design side would really support the biophilia notion as well, like bringing love into the design around nature more than, um, I also went to the University of Waterloo for the okay. systems design engineering. Right. So I know about, you know, structure and rigidity and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but it's, but it's, but it's a nice mashup, I guess. Like the two, the two pieces of what you're doing sound like a really nice mashup. It is, because it, 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 it allows all the, the whole mind to participate, right? So you can get the logic mind and the heart mind and you can put them together and maybe get somewhere. Um, it's the, the OCAD connection, you know, and you talk about heart. I think there's something happening um, in Canada for certain and globally maybe um, around the uh, reconnection with indigenous values as well. You know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the reverence to mother instead of father, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the and that is the is the connection to heart, uh, the reverence to nature instead of um, engineering. Well, these ideas, um, uh, I think, they they are affording a, a, a confluence of openness to what comes next and an inclusion of love in the matrix of success. Right. Um, yeah. So, so to venture into maybe an area that's a bit more controversial than based on what you just said, you know, a lot of um, a lot of 
seminars that I go to or classes or they, they start by talking about that we're on indigenous land and, and paying homage to the fact that the settlers came and, and took the land and you know whatever the politics are. And now you're talking about um, easing into more um, indigenous thinking around mother and earth. And do you think that we as the white folk like have the right to do that without engaging the indigenous people? Uh, well, it's there's a there's a principle called nothing about us without us. Nothing about us without us. Right, and that's that is very much about inclusive, um, uh, self-directed orientation to the future, um, which is not this. So let's take a, a non-Aboriginal example. In Louisiana, there's a parish of people who are going to be underwater sometime soon. Um, you know, let's go and talk to them about um, about what they're going to do. If they are on board with moving their community and staying together, mm -hmm. they're going to. It's going to be a much easier transition. If the government comes in and says, "You guys must to move because you're going to be underwater, and we're making you," and and here's where you get to go, we're going to tell you where you. Suddenly, the sense of personal agency is gone, and those people don't want to do that. Half of them. Half of them are happy to like get out of the flood zone, but half of them are too, super resistant and definitely don't want to be told what to do. It's a much more effective way to involve people. Um, I think that in, in you know you talk about controversy. So uh, I am uh, descended of Huron Wendat people, um, and you know, and that you know, my grandma used to say, uh, "You always identify." You know, I asked her, I challenged her on why she chose to lose all of that influence and she said well you know growing up in victoria harbor which is near penetang and midland and in ontario um, having her first kid at 16 being raised catholic in a in a in a uh, aboriginal and catholic household um, she was taught very clearly and she said this you know if i identify if, if i identify as squaw this is this is her words not mine yeah uh, if i identify as squaw I'm giving people permission to rape and beat me. Mm -hmm. If I identify as French Catholic, I'm safe. Wow. wow. Right? So there's lots of paths that, that bring us to now. And a lot of pollution, like really vigorous pollution, you know, um, genocidal cultural, you know, degradation, like just. Right. And, and right. some, and some yeah. of how we get from here to there is, is pretty complicated. I mean, in your business, trying to unravel some complicated person's individual self and may reveal something that's, um, let's say, more authentic or complete or without shadows in the past. Um, you know, it, I think that, that as a society, we have to reconcile some of that. And it's Truth and reconciliation is only just the beginning of showing lights into the corners. Um, and yes, we cannot to tell what to do now. Um, there has to be a way, though, to find a bridge where we can share what's positive that we have to contribute as a society with people who are um, in a state of inequity uh, so that they can find some self-determined self approach to thriving in, in a new context, 
the, the third way, right? There's no way for me to go back through my grandma and find my Aboriginal heritage because she's not around anymore. And, you know, and she, you know, her father left that on purpose because it wasn't, it wasn't serving him at the time. He made a choice uh, to leave that behind and to try for a new identity. Right. And despite the loss, there's still opportunity. There's still a way to turn forward, as you say. And I think what you said earlier about um, this social, you know, essentially open source development, open source thinking with the Malcolm Gladwell and, you know, that example you gave um, certainly sounds like the way. It, it, um, it, it makes me think of this book, Three Cups of Tea, where this guy got lost in Pakistan and uh, got almost died in a crevice in a valley and got woke up in a little village. I, I, do you know the book? No, but I uh, want to. Oh, it's very cool. So he ended up being revived over a period of time by this family in this tiny little village. And uh, the book's called Three Cups of Tea because when a stranger comes into their village, the first thing they do is give them a cup of tea. And it's just a way of connecting. And it's a way of saying, hey, you're a stranger, welcome to our village. And then they give them a second cup of tea, which is a way of saying, we're friends now because we've spent an hour together or, you know, whatever. And then they give them a third cup of tea, which is now your family, like we are family. Mm. And it um, is a controversial book because pieces of it were made up, is presented as a true story that ended up raising millions of dollars for a foundation. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole other chapter. But the nice part of, I think, of the, of the idea of three cups of tea is we've got to communicate. Like we've got to drop all the power differentials and all the um, privileges and everything, acknowledge them, but drop them. And then just start again at, can we just pour a cup of tea for each other? Right. Right. Because that humanity piece is what starts it all, right? Yeah. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what I'm gunning at when I choose all those favorite places because they, they allow themselves, the, those situations allow, the, allow for the emergence of that, you know, authentic connection without the overhead of all of the doing it right or, um, or structural responses, something. Right. right. So you live in a house in your neighborhood. You said you're like a, whatever, a 12 minute walk from a major street, St. Yeah. Clair. And you've got your masters and you've, you're doing all this thinking, turning it into action as well. What would you take out of that theory, kind of the academic side of you and overlay it right now into the neighborhood that you're living in to change it for the better? If you could, if, like if you had a magic wand and could actually make it happen. Yeah, um, okay. Uh, first of all, nature makes people feel good and Nature creates real estate value too. So, um, you know, Voltaire said this thing where, you know, in the arena of commerce, there is no religion. Under, under the banner of the heaven of money, there is no religion. Well, what's interesting, and I see this converging now, and I think that people are aware of its convergence, um, that um, the self-interest of my largest asset, my house, and its value is connected directly to the quality of my neighborhood, it, the quality of the way people feel. So the same as we were talking about wayfinding and how it feels to be on the street, the more trees there are, 
the happier you feel. Like just think about the routes that you take when you're walking places. You go by the tree-lined streets um, and you may not even consciously choose that. You just go. If it's a hot day, go for the shade. If it's, if it's a cool day, go for the windbreak, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's part of it. So uh, trees and thriving local economy. I don't want to go down the street and see a money mart and, you know, other what a retail detritus, you know, like I don't need, <laughs> um, you know, like I don't need that. That doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel proud of my neighborhood. But if there are people who are making a living restaurateurs and, and providing good value to my experience and community, then those are the people I want to encourage to be there. And I'm going to do that by spending my money there. So I have money. I got to spend it on food. I got to feed my family. I've got to shop. I go spend my money in my local economy. And when I can, I plant a tree and hopefully everyone does the same kind of thing. And then we get a, a thriving sense of community. If we can, if, if we can awaken to that truth, my real estate value is connected to the way it feels to be on the street and in my community at, at a human scale, then I think that neighborhoods will get better, um, you know, everywhere. Um, it's bringing that behavior that behavior in contrast to driving out to a big box store, loading up for a month worth of, you know, um, supplies. Right. Right. And if I can, I want to maybe suggest something else, because I think that's awesome what you just said. Um, so you've been talking, we've been talking a lot about people, about how people are the connecting elements of the fabric of, of the environment of, right. So if you plant a tree, it would be kind of cool to have a bench or something next to that tree to, to draw people together. So you can invite your Colombian neighbor to have coffee with you. Right. Public, public op opulence, right? Mm. It's the consciousness of knowing that you don't have to pave the sidewalk with gold. You actually just need to put a bench down so that people can congregate and, right, yeah. and imp improve the community that way. Do you have one of those little libraries out, out front of your house? We do. I built it this summer. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's an example of, of that thing. You know, like you walk along and there's a reason to stop and then there's a reason to look around and yeah. maybe you cross paths with another person or you at least do through the vehicle of the, of the books that are being shared there. All of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I actually, um, so I actually built it because I knew it would make my wife happy. She loves books, like books are her thing. And so I built it this summer and I put this, so this is a little free library. It's um, kind of a wooden box with a door at the front that opens in a roof and, and a couple of shelves. And for people who don't know about little free libraries and you just put all the books in that you uh, wish to offer up to other people for free. It's a free library, right? And hopefully other people then put books in as well. And it becomes a bit like a trading post. Um, what's nice though is as much as I did it for my wife, and I know she loves it. We look out the window periodically and the number of people that stop in front of it, pull the door open and just scan through the books. And every time I see that, I go, wow, that's like so cool. It's like, you know, it's, it's the neighbors those, or people we don't even know or recognize. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is like a meeting place. And right. maybe, next, maybe next summer I'll build a bench just to go next to it or, or yeah. post COVID, post COVID. Right. When we're allowed to sit on benches together again. <laughs> yeah. 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 This has been really fantastic thinking about 
um, like where I live and how I live in, a, in really a different way, like challenging my consciousness or my views of consciousness to go beyond, you know, the ways I currently think about it to say, oh, yeah, what does it mean that I, what does it mean that I live in a house? It's like, oh, firstly that, because you said, you know, whether, whether, you're, whether your home is a park bench or whether it's a penthouse suite. And, you know, so everything that's wrapped around my privilege in having a house. And then beyond that, expanding the walls, as you said, to my greengrocer and to my butcher and to, you know, so that that becomes my home. And then, and then the whole fabric of what is, a, what is now, what is the environment like? Mm -hmm. Where does nature fit in? And your, your ideas about biophilia, I think are, are really cool. Like the love of, the love of being, the love of being here, right? Yeah, because it is place-based. Yeah. Yeah. Your heart in that place. Yeah. 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 Wow. Nice. It feels full. Like I know there's so much more we would talk about, and we could. There always is. Yeah. But, but I just feel so full with what you've just offered, and it's uh, it's really it's really a gift. Thank you for offering context and making a good conversation happen. I mean. Yeah. Thank you. Before yeah. you go, I'd like to ask my guests three questions. Okay. And um, and I'm asking them the same questions, except one of my episodes, I couldn't remember the questions at all. And we just kind of went with something else. But if you're a game for it, I, I'm going to ask you just kind of three rapid fire questions. Sounds good. Do we have Jeopardy music going on? Do yeah. we, do we, do we, <laughs> oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll have my editor like um, put it in. Let's, let's do it. Okay. First question then is what is your superpower? I'm an instigator. So I see things that, that maybe I say things that aren't supposed to be said sometimes, or I, I, I want to incite some, I want to point out that there's something uncomfortable right there mm -hmm. and I'm going to go right at it and I'm going to point it out and then see what happens. Uh -huh. So in a disruptive way, but I, I can't help but instigate. And that, that, that comes out in all sorts of contexts, right? Like if somebody's honking their horn on the street, I'll tell them that it's not the right thing to do. Um, or if something's not being said in a meeting, a business meeting, I'll be the, the politically incorrect person who comes out and points it out and says, we should talk about that. <laughs> uh -huh. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's not always a good thing, but it's, <laughs> no. it, is, it, it is a superpower in a way, in, in, especially because I'm compelled to do it. Yeah, well, thank you for having that superpower. It means I don't have to play that role as well. But, <laughs> but that's cool. Good. Um, second question is, if you're reading a book right now, um, could you share what you're reading with our audience? Yes. Um, okay. So uh, a friend of mine and I have started to read together. That is, we take turns reading to each other. Um, a, a Razor's Edge by Somerset Mom. Oh, which is okay. in, uh, in Chicago and Paris and other places in roughly 1926. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, it, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a glimpse at, at a past uh, at a time that's not dissimilar to the time we're experiencing now in, in that it's, everything is changing so rapidly. Um, and uh, you know, uh, at that same time, Aldous Huxley was writing a brave new world and um, and here we're we're talking about uh, the the protagonist in the story going to Paris. He's he's a trust and he had he, he has all the money he could ever want, 
and he lives in a tiny little room in Paris and mm -hmm. writes a book. And that's what the story's about. Cool. Nice. Thanks. And question three, I just have to reach for it. I got this book. Actually, I got it from a little free library somewhere. I don't Love know. Like awesome. Maybe a 20 minute walk from my house. Of course uh, you Every page has uh, a different question on it. Okay. So I'm just going to flip through and you All just right. tell me, you tell me when to stop. Now. All right. Are you willing to continually dance with life? Uh, I wish I could dance every day. Um, so I, 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 it's funny you should say, I, uh, I, yes, I am willing. Um, I've been doing over the last eight years or so, um, something called ecstatic dance. I go and dance crazy. My, my son says, people da there dance crazier than you do, dad. But it's barefoot, there's no talking. It's not partner dancing. It's you dancing to crazy, whatever that you follow the DJ. It ride, it begins slow and rises tall and then goes slow again at the end. It's very diverse in terms of musical taste, but I go and do that once a week when we're not in COVID times and that's allowed. Um, but yeah, dancing, dancing in all, so many ways. So important, even if, I think even if I was, um, not physically able, music um, makes me dance inside. Um, and, you know, I'm constantly tapping that. Beautiful. That's awesome. Awesome. Me too. And I think there's two levels. We had a, we had a Feldenkrais practitioner on the show earlier, like on a previous episode. And so we talked a lot about movement, but I think there's something about music as well as dance. Like as, it's not just the movement, it's, it's the music as well. And, right. Um, yeah, I can be sitting here, but I'm dancing if the music is going off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone taught me a number of years ago about dance parties, like solo dance parties. And so I heard all about it and then I came home and I closed the curtains because I didn't want the neighbors to see. <laughs> and, then, and then I just cranked the music up really loud and just danced away until like all these emotions came up and I was crying and I was angry and I was happy. And I was like, and it was just like dance parties are an amazing thing. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully what you just said about ecstatic dance inspires at least some members of the audience to go give it a try. And yeah. Or do it in your kitchen by yourself. Like Modia says, yeah, my kids yeah. and I used to take all the bike lights, turn the lights off in the, in the kitchen, turn the bike lights on in blink mode and, <laughs> have, and have our own little dance party. You know, there's lots of, lots of ways to do this for sure. Nice. Awesome. Hey, right. Chris Chopik, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, it's been a real treat. Moja Silver, it's a genuine pleasure to be here. You are such a dude. Um, thanks for doing this. It's, uh, I look forward to listening to this and, and the other podcasts that you do in the future and in the past. All right. Thanks so much. Signing yeah. off.